0: It's our mega-fab episode. How to churn your roster. How much to bid on the wire. How to know who to cut from your rosters. The Roto-Gut himself, Vlad Sedler, joins us next on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of... The Beat the Shift Podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen. And with me, as always, is Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruvain?
1: I'm doing great. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing good. I went to my first Met game in over a year and a half. I went to the Tuesday doubleheader where the Mets won on a walk-off in the eighth inning. Uh, that, that's interesting. I've never been to an eighth inning walk-off. And uh, the 4-0 shutout in the nightcap. Uh, pretty cool, huh?
1: Yeah, and I actually saw you on TV. You were on SNY with Ellen Adair, and I think you also made the the Phillies feed as well.
0: I, I did both broadcasts from different angles. Actually, somehow got me in the picture. Uh, me, Ellen, uh, my wife, and Ellen's uh, husband was there. Uh, it was a fun time. Uh, hopefully,
1: pr- hopefully cool. they got hopefully they got your good side. That's all.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, they got me from back and front, so I don't know which one is better. But anyways, uh, on to the show here. We've got a fantastic guest. It's going to be a fantastic episode. It's our fab episode, and no better person to get than from f- fantasy guru Vlad Sedler himself. Welcome, Vlad, to the show. How are you?
2: Gentlemen, thank you so much for having me. Uh, Ariel uh, and Reuven, great to talk to you guys. I know it's uh, it's been a while, so happy to be back on the show.
0: Yeah. Likewise. So so uh, glad to have you. And let's just jump right into it. Today is all about uh, fab. When to, how to, how much to, and you know, one. We were talking before the show started here, and uh, you know, one of the things that our show is is. really different and separates us apart is that we do strategy. And it's not just about knowing the players and knowing who's good and who's not and, and the, the prospects coming up, but just, just the strategy of it, how to drop a player, when to drop a player, how much to bid. So that's just something that we're going to do today. Um, starting with waiver wire, um, let's just go through in terms of timing, right? Because obviously I know, Vlad, you do a heck of a lot of leagues, What is your timeline for the week in terms of setting waiver wire? Do you start somewhere in the middle of the week? Do you do everything the last minute? Could could you lay out that timeline and process?
2: So I I try to keep everything pretty systematic over the course of the year, and especially this season, because I'm actually in more fab leagues than I've ever had before. So I've got uh, 11, actually, and I usually do about seven or eight. Uh, so yeah, a little bit of an extra workload. And of course I don't like to leave any stragglers behind and, and really like to be able to manage all my teams. And obviously I believe that, uh, you know, fab and free agent bidding is just a really big and important part of, of the whole process. But for me, I, I think a lot of it starts with keeping track of uh of everything that happens throughout the week i mean not just following box scores but seeing playing time you know how uh how whether if guys are struggling are they moving up and down in the lineup keeping up with uh with transactions who's getting sent down to the minors who's losing rotation spots who's losing uh key uh, innings in uh, back end innings in the bullpen um and then usually i'll kind of go through uh, each of my teams uh, probably I would say midweek uh, later towards the end of the week so around Wednesday Thursday and I'll just take a look and see uh, how I would be setting my schedule f- uh, or, or setting my lineups for the following week and looking to see if there are any uh, just outright drops just players that I know I'm not going to use uh, uh, or players that just you know that are injured or that I'm ready to to, to cut bait with so I'll kind of mark those guys And then I'll just flag um, where I play in NFBC, there's the, uh, you know, the watch system. So I can just sort of click on some players that I'm interested in. And then sometimes I'll even just kind of throw them all in a bid of somebody that I already know that I'm going to drop. So by, you know, by Friday, I already kind of have some idea, uh, some sense of what I'm going to do. And obviously a lot changes over the weekend. Uh, and then Friday through Saturday I'm usually doing most of my research because that's when I'm preparing for the following week and writing my uh, fab values column which usually comes out Saturday night Sunday morning so that writing that really helps me with a lot of my preparation Uh, and at that point it's 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 almost like second nature and then on Sunday of course I'll place the bids in the morning uh, in the afternoon uh, before the deadline I'll usually you know, switch them, uh, switch up the, the, the list of priorities, you know, move guys up and down, put some bid numbers in it, and I'll always walk away. And then maybe a half an hour before the deadline, I'll kind of give it all a sanity check and just make sure that I don't have anything too high, too low, and just come and look at it at a, with a fresh uh, sort of state of mind.
0: Right. And interesting that, that you said there is that you're, you're looking at how you would set your lineups for next week. And I think what, get, what's, what gets lost a lot is um, people aren't looking at the very week-to-week nature of a lot of, uh, of weekly leagues because that's what it is. Um, and, you know, in terms of streaming players in or saying, you know, this player I'm not going to use this week, I'm not going to use next week, might be a spot to cut bait with a player because that roster spot is possibly used better for somebody else in the immediate uh, uh, short term. Is that the, the way that you look at it?
2: Uh, I mean, absolutely. The way that I feel that uh, it needs to be approached is, is you know, people, especially it's, it's you can tell in the type of questions that people ask. They're always asking, who do you like better player X or Y um, rest of season? And I, I personally don't like to approach things that way. It, for me, it's uh, especially if it's somebody towards, you know, you're in a 12 team league and it's uh, a couple of guys that are very similar, uh, somebody that could be dropped, someone that could be picked up. I mean, it's really hard to answer those type of questions without context. It's being able to see someone's roster, understand what their needs are, maybe categorically, and looking at the upcoming schedules, like maybe not just the next week, but just in the next month, perhaps. Like, I think, you know, maybe, um, you know, go into some AL East parks, go into Coors a couple of times, things like that. Um, and for me, it you almost have to compartmentalize. It's, you know, it's not this one long season. It's these 26 mini seasons in a way. And so I think it's that important balance, that approach between... Keeping uh, your, your categories and your overall balance in mind over the whole season, uh, in addition to, uh, you know, looking at things a week at a time.
0: So, Ruven, I'll ask you this. On average, how many pickups per team that you run do you usually uh, do? And maybe does that vary in terms of league size or uh, in league, league depth or league format for you?
1: I think it matters more on the construction of the team and what's going on for the following week. Typically, I don't like making so many changes. I don't like overhauling everything all at once. Maybe one or two, possibly three pickups per week at most. But, I mean, when you draft a team to begin with, you draft, let's say, 30, 30 players. If you draft 30 players, 23, in the, 23 starters, 7 bench, whatever it may be. Those last three or four spots, when you draft them, you have to have in mind that you're going to be continue to churn them over and over and over again, and you have to leave those three spots open. So I'm looking to, to try to upgrade my roster at, at all times, number one, especially when it comes down to those last three spots. Number two, it depends on what's going on with the injuries. Injuries are abundant, as you'll see in my report later today the injuries are crazy there's so many going on and there's so many holes to fill so it's hard really to pick up one of the one guy they really want because you want not have to fill a hole somewhere else so you try not to be over over anxious on getting these all these hot guys because you want to make sure you have a, a valid roster actually for the following week. So what you normally, what I would normally do is on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'd watch what's going on, I'd watch everything, watch just enjoy baseball for a couple of days. Then by the time Thursday rolls around, when I start getting my own article right there about the injuries for the coming week, I see what's going on and I get a little more idea of who's still playing, who's getting the playing time, and who's not going to be there and who's going to have to change because a lot of rosters, especially in NFBC, the hitters open up again, and they close again on Friday for the weekend. So when you're looking at that also, that has to play into it also because you're, you're seeing already, okay, I have this hole, I have that hole, then I'll know exactly what I'll need to pick up later on.
0: So, Vlad, can you tell me as a as a percentage of time um, or maybe, maybe rank these in terms of what you find yourself doing most and of course I'm going to I'm saying this very generally cuz obviously every team that when you pick up players is going to be very different. You might be suffering injuries on one team and you might not on another. But very generally cuz you play in so many leagues, um how what percentage of time do you find yourself picking up players to either A uh fill an injury uh, an issue on your team, maybe there's a, a hot player that you want to pick up that looks great three matchups that you, you see a good matchup the following week and four, uh maybe a prospect that's coming out? Like what, what's your pecking order and, you know, what rough gauge of time are you picking up these players?
2: It, so it's mostly, I would say, for good matchups in the next couple of weeks and, and filling players do the injury. I would say that's a bulk of it. Uh, I think as I get older and wiser, I'm doing less of the trying to pick up the hot prospect because we've seen it numerous times uh you remember austin riley a couple of years ago uh carter you know uh, Kai Boom. i always forget if it's spencer or carter i think it's carter the one that didn't retire carter, that's yeah. not the catcher uh yeah and there's the, you know these guys they, they they mash in the minors and then as soon as they come up even they'll maybe mash a little bit more and then there's that big adjustment period where they, uh, most of the time these these guys just go cold not everybody comes into the league like uh you know trout uh, jordan alvarez or correa and just start mashing uh, consistently, and so I, I'm just really wary of of, of prospects, I guess, uh, especially in, in NFBC. A lot of times, you can't pick these guys up until they uh, are actually uh, have played a day in in the league, and um, you know, and even then, it's you know, it, 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 there's always a premium to be paid on those guys. They're they're going at the price of you know like closers are going sometimes when a new closer pops up, and they're going for uh, 25, 40 of, percent uh, of of someone's budget um i you know I, I tend to not chase that I'd rather just have the money and just you know grind all season long and that's something that i've noticed a lot of the best players have done over the years and i've, I've sort of adapted that strategy um and then same thing with hot players i'm always careful and hesitant because there's a, also a premium on the hot players uh, somebody coming off a a week of hitting you know 4 420 with uh with, with a few homers it's I'm, I'm looking at the context of that like where they playing because, uh, you know, maybe were they uh, a lefty facing a bunch of righties? Were they, you know, playing because somebody was out due to injury? Like, well, what is the context of this player um, getting more playing time? And maybe they're, you know, they were facing, you know, Pirates pitching and Tigers pitching or whomever, and they just had good matchups. And now they're going to face, you know, DeGrom and then the Marlins pitchers or something like that. So the context of that matters so, uh, so, so much. Um, so in, in that respect, I'm really careful with the hot players. So I would say for the most part, it's the filling for injury and the good matchups
0: yeah I'll agree with you on that. I will add it for the hot player though that it really depends on the the format and the depth in a 15 team league or in a, in a mono league. if you see a guy that's getting playing time um that even though and they're hot i mean that that's uh, there's a bigger need to add the player because there's less available in the waiver wire If you're in a 10 or twelve team mixed, um you know the hot player means less. Right, it, it it could just be a phase. There'll be other hot players that come out come about because the waiver wire is much more rich. It's much deeper. Um, I and just to also add to what you're saying, you you do have to take a look at the hot player factors. If they're coming, if they're gaining gaining playing time, that to me is a great sign. As mm-hmm. opposed to they just hit you know a barrage of homers this week, that could just be something lucky. So you do have to look at the at the context of how they're hot and what they're hot as to whether you want to pick them up this week.
1: I actually want to add about the prospects, though. Also, when it comes to the prospects, there are two times a year really when the prospects are really out there, and that's usually around the end of April when the Super 2 time uh, comes around, and after the trading deadline when all the when more prospects come up and replace the players that have been traded away. So if you really save your money for the prospects around those two times a year, you don't need to spend so much money on the prospects other times a year because those are when the main prospects are going to be coming up.
0: Yeah, uh, right, right, yeah, uh, 100%. Um. Question to you, Vlad... Um, you know, you talked about, you know, you're marking players for I can drop them. How do you decide when to cut bait with a player, when to drop them? Uh, or is it because they're just really performing badly and they don't have a long track record? Obviously, if they're injured, that's a reason to do it. Um, another reason could be you're not going to be using them in another couple of weeks, especially pitchers. I'm not I'm looking at the next matchups. I'm not playing them this week. I'm not playing them that week. If not, why am I holding him? Like well, What are some of the reasons that, that you're going to drop a player how do you decide?
2: I mean, yeah, you you kind of uh, you hit on a lot of them there. Uh, I Obviously, in 15-team leagues, and I think most people know this, people that are playing both 15s and 12s know the difference. And In 15s in general, your targets are much—there uh, are fewer of them. They're of higher priority, I guess, in a way, and um, everyone's kind of going after the same targets. It's, it's very shallow in the free agent pool there. Uh, in 12-teamers— those are some brutal decisions, and I know a lot of people, even you know, a lot of really good players in NFBC have even stopped playing 12s just because uh, you know they love the 15-team format, and there's just so much work uh, to do in those 12s. Uh, but that's the toughest part is, is figuring out when to cut bait because a lot of these guys are so uh, similar in a lot of ways. But um, yeah, I mean, for me, if it's if it's with pitchers, I'm of course I'm looking ahead at the schedule. If I'm not going to be, if it's somebody. Kind of on the on the cusp of my roster and sort of on the borderline of you know being um you know tenth eleventh pitcher on my team or on you know in Fab, um, it, it, I want to see does this person have staying power for me? Is he somebody that is going you know like a couple of weeks ago everybody was looking at Radone. Uh, shoemaker uh, Stephen Matz like you know these are guys that have done it before these are guys that could potentially you know they look good in spring um, increase velocity they're healthy now these are guys that have uh, long-term potential and then there are the other type of guys like that are just new on the scene that we don't know much about the Tyler Widners, uh, Bruce Zimmerman's of the world like you know, you just kind of have to go with it by feel. Like, sure, if you if you cut one of those guys into fifteen and they end up being, you know, the next Degrom, oh well, you lost them. There's nothing you can do about it. Uh, but in 12ers, it's yeah, it, it's really tough because a lot of times you it, it, figuring out who to drop is is almost harder than the uh, than figuring out who to add. Uh, for me, it, and a lot of times it's avoiding your own sort of personal uh, biases and kryptonite. Like, for example, I love Tyler O'Neill, um, but I don't know why. Right? Like he's you know, just just uh, just bad plate discipline. Um, he, he's got so many good tangibles, so many good skills that where he could be good if he like applied himself, but it's just not working out for him because he's just so in, in, impatient at the plate. And so I then sometimes need a way. All right, is you know how long can I keep waiting around for it? am I just keep buying in, buying in on him because he's burned me in the past and I feel like he owes me? And so a lot of those sort of personal biases we need to uh, be able to put to the side. Um, in some cases, that was made easy for us this week because he hit uh, the injured reserve uh, or injured list. And so, you know, 12 teamers, he becomes an easy cut. In 15 teamers, that's a, a tougher situation. You know, for example, in a 15 teamer this past weekend, I'm thinking there, I've got already Luke Voigt, uh, on uh, you know on an IL waiting to come back sometime in May. I've got Bobby Witt on this team that I drafted and I'm holding, and I don't want to cut him. And then I've got Carrasco. That's already three uh, stashes on a seven-player uh, bench. That's already too many. So at that point, I'm like, okay, in this case, Tyler O'Neal has to go. So just kind of going on a tangent there, but you, you know what I mean? It's just you know, sometimes really, really tough decisions.
0: Yeah. I think the general very quickie rule for when you can't cut a player is If you're going to cut a player and that guy is going to be gobbled up in two seconds by anybody the next week, it's probably a bad idea to drop him. If you think that the guy is going to survive even just two weeks, you can drop him because theoretically you can pick him up next week if you want for free. So that's a very quick general rule if you ever want to come to a bind. Anything to add to that, Ruven?
1: Yeah, the litmus test for pitchers. If you have a two-star pitcher like me and you are, we had a we have Ryan Yarbrough on our team one of our teams. I think it's a twelve-team or a thirteen-team league, and he was a two-star this week. And we are considering not playing him when he's a two-star pitcher. If you have a guy, he's on your roster and he's two-star for a week, and he's, he was playing the I think it was the Rangers and the Yankees. If he's two-star and you're not playing him, then there's no reason for him to be on your roster whatsoever because when else are you going to play a a player like that? Yes, he got beat up by the Rangers, and he's probably going to get beat up by the Yankees as well, but at that point, if you're not going to play a two-star pitcher who you probably drafted like a Ryan Yarbrough, what are you going to do with him? I I think that's the type of player that could be dropped.
2: You know, you know what's funny in the way that baseball works is now that he Yarbrough got blasted two starts in a row, and then now watch him throw like a eight inning shutout against the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, uh, that uh, hopefully he'll be in your lineup still while that happens. Of course, um, I want to talk about uh, the picking up, and you know you're talking about matchups. You're picking up for matchups. Uh, you can call it streaming if you're going to only hold him for a week or so. What are the things that you look at to decide? This is a guy I want. He's going to have a good week this week. We all know plays in Colorado. Everyone knows that one. Although, I don't know, the Rockies lineup is not that great. Maybe pitching in Colorado this year isn't as bad as you think. Well, I'll, I'll let you answer the question, Vlad.
2: Uh, so for me, the, the best thing that I'll always do is I'll, um, I'll just look at who the teams are playing in, in, in the coming week. I'm looking to see who's got seven games. Maybe sometimes there's some double headers and there's eight games in a week, which teams are playing five and then digging deeper within that. And this is what I put into the Fab Values article is, all right, uh, you know, how many righties, how many lefties, who's affected by that sort of thing? You know, like, for example, this week, uh, the Giants or next week are going to get seven games and six of them are slated as of now, granted no rainouts. Uh, six of them against righties that's a good opportunity for in a 12-teamer to probably pick up alex dickerson there, there could be good timing there and somebody that's going to be in the lineup predominantly against uh against righties is a good thing where on the flip side maybe you know you have austin slater and yeah you and know, a 12-teamer and he's fungible and you cut him for for dickerson and that's just you know that it's that kind of continuous churning and burning i'm looking at handedness i'm looking at the strength of opponent are they going to face like the pre- previous example, are they going to face, you know, DeGrom, Stroman, uh, and then, uh, you know, the, the good pitchers on, on Miami um, over the course of the week? Or are they going to play, you know, Kansas City and, um, you know, D- Detroit or whoever? And, and to me, that makes a really big difference. Uh, and then I always give priority to the AL East for whatever reason. Um, I mean, it's not for whatever reason, for a very concrete reason. Like, those are phenomenal Home parks, almost everywhere, maybe with the exception of uh, Tropicana, where that, that's a great place to stream hitters. You know, I mean, last year I took a, lot, a big time advantage of players streaming them in Boston because Boston had a, a they didn't have Erod, they had a horrendous uh, set of starters and an even worse bullpen. And the same thing with Baltimore. Um, and so you just always had a good shot at teams getting involved in shootouts or in you know scores where they where there were going to be ten plus runs scored in those situations. So I would always sort of maximize, optimize the potential for my hitters to to score a lot of runs. You know what I mean? Like I'm not gonna pick up someone and stream them to to, to face Marlins and, and Mets pitching, basically.
0: Yeah. No, I, I agree with everything you said. One question though about doubleheaders, it's not like doubleheaders uh of uh, two years ago. Doubleheaders, a doubleheader is fourteen innings instead of nine. Um, and who knows if they're gonna play both ends of the doubleheader? So to me, that's not an advantage. I would almost say it's a disadvantage.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, you're right. Uh, that's yeah, exactly. A lot of times these guys aren't playing both games of the of the series. So, but yeah, you know, either way, you know, it eight looks bigger, so. It's,
0: right, right. I'm just saying that the the proportion bigger is not as much these days because yeah. you're literally getting uh, five extra innings. It's you know. Uh, there you go. Uh, 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 do we miss anything, Ruvein? Um, uh, yes, uh, I yes. think Vlad you missed, got a lot. You
1: missed, you missed the weather. You got to play the weather also, oh, during, yeah, weather. especially in, the, a, in April. It's freezing in Detroit. It's snowing in Colorado. And on the East Coast this whole, this whole week, it's been raining. So if you just look at the weather a week ahead for certain matchups, like if, if Boston is playing in Boston, if the Mets are playing at home, if the Phillies are playing at home, if the Nationals are playing at home, and you see that it's going to be really cold, You know what? You may be more better off to get a pitcher there, especially if you don't think it's gonna rain. If you can get a pitcher there, because hitters usually don't do that well in cold weather. Barring, you know, the the occasional Grand Slam in the snow, which you see occasionally like Hideki Matsuwe a couple years ago. But otherwise, you're not really going to see that much offense when it's freezing. So if you pick up a player in Detroit, like let's say you picked up or you started uh, Matthew Boyd. He's been playing in Detroit and he's had a renaissance right now. Is it really him or is it the cold weather affecting the hitters? There could be a give and take with that as well.
0: Yeah. Ruben, are you looking at the injuries? So, you know, if you have a pitcher that you're considering, are you looking at, hey, this team is injured and hobbled now? Are you considering that at all?
1: Are you talking about the Blue Jays or are you talking about all the teams?
0: (laughs) Any team. Oh, my goodness. The Blue Jays. Something going on there. Just everybody's getting injured.
1: Yeah, you always have to look at the injuries because especially early on, you're going to get a lot of muscle injuries, which we've already seen with obliques, with groin strains, with hamstring strains, and you have to keep up with this because there's a constant flux of players going in and out of lineups. If you're doing DFS, it's a complete headache because you don't know what's going to happen one game to the next, Um, and especially when you have these double headers. If, let's say, a team has a double header and someone tweaks his or gets hit with a pitch and they miss a – couple games because of that. You have to be up on this stuff, otherwise you're going to get screwed. You're going to end up with a lot of empty roster spots during the course of the week.
0: Let's talk about two-star pitchers. I know, Ruven, that you're big on picking up pitchers who have some good two starts, get the extra innings. Of course, it could backfire if the pitcher is has a pretty crummy week. Um, what advice do you have for when to start picking up two two-star pitchers? In terms of, are you doing this uh, in the beginning of the season? Or are you doing this midway? In an emergency, if you're really down strikeouts, like when when is your rules for starting to be more conscious of getting those two starts in there?
1: I think it's probably around June or July. I wouldn't do it yet because you don't know what you're going to get out of the pitchers so early on in the season. They can blow up your ERA. They can blow up your whip. You can. I, I. This is not the time yet. You. When you get later on in the season, you'll see if you need strikeouts. If you need strikeouts, then you go to two-star pitchers. If you don't need the strikeouts, then you go on the waiver wire and get a mid-reliever and throw a mid-reliever later. But it's June or July. I think that's usually the time when you start to see, oh, I'm behind the strikeouts. That's when I need to build them up. Oh, I'm starting to fall behind in wins. That's when you need to build it up. But it's, I think it's till too soon. And you don't want to risk blowing up your ear and whip this early in the season.
0: Do you agree with that? Vlad? Uh,
2: Yeah, obviously if you're streaming two star pitchers in, uh, in April, that, that that kind of means that you have some, uh, some, some issues with your roster to begin with. And I think it goes back to, uh, to preseason and to draft season where, uh, people that are like waiting on pitching or punting pitching, you're going to end up getting yourself in trouble. Like you need to be able to uh, to build a, a balanced roster so that you're not already beginning that process of of streaming two star pitchers uh, early on in the season because it's just human nature. Like you see two starts and somehow this you know this smart part of your brain just cuts off and you're like oh I, uh, this kind of looks like a tough start it's kind of appealing you know maybe I can hold him for the year and then he gets blasted in, in, in one of those starts and you're like okay well die I mean my instinct kind of knew that but I did it anyways and then you know you, you tempt that fate early on and you're probably going to end up doing it a lot later on as well so it, it, if you got a bunch of injured pitchers to begin the season you know you, you started off with uh you know Carrasco and Sixto Sanchez and Um, you lost, you know, Anthony Bass and, you know, whoever, um, yeah, sure. You could be in a world of herd and you may be in a tough position where you have to, you know, stream a little bit, but it really goes back to drafting, uh, strong and keeping pitching in mind so that you have those aces sort of anchoring your ratios and you don't have to mess around with those two starts too early.
0: Yeah. But I, 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 Tend to look at what's going on in the two star pitcher world from day one, even though my tendency to put one in there is lower in the beginning and it's greater later. I'm still looking because you never know. Uh, I'm actually even more concerned not just with the following week, I'm looking at two weeks from now because I want to pick up a pitcher's for free, right? Yep. I, 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 there's always somebody who wants those two starts, but two weeks from now, there's less. And you can pick up some good pitchers. I I picked up Johnny Cueto last week for some good starts. Two weeks, you know, two weeks, which would be next week. Now he's injured. He probably won't uh, uh, pitch. But you know, that's the kind of thing you want to go in advance to get that. And I'm looking at that from from day one. If I like the start, why not put put that into uh, into the rotation there? Um, how does? Uh, having minimum bids affect fab. So there are some leagues that allow you to have a zero minimum bid and some that require you to have a $1. There's also leagues that have a hundred dollar seasonal budget versus a thousand. Does that affect the way that you would bid? Do you think Vlad?
2: So it's been a while since I've been in any sort of bidding format, uh, other than NFPC, which is pretty much standard, uh, dollar minimum and a thousand budget. Um, yeah, I think I still do some hundred dollar, uh, leagues in, in football, but I really just try to play all one style just to not confuse myself. But obviously, you know, back in the days, played a lot on, you know, home leagues on Yahoo and did the Fantrax leagues, and obviously a lot of really great sites on there. Um, the, the $1 minimum kind of keeps you a little bit more in check where, you know, you just can't have sort of like a free for all and, and a less disciplined mentality. Um, but I don't have too much of an opinion on that. Besides that, um, with a hundred versus a thousand, you just need to uh, basically mirror it. If you're doing, if you're playing in leagues in both, then you just kind of have to consider it, um, you know, almost similar. Uh, and it may seem like a thousand like will last you a lot longer, but it may not necessarily. You know, I mean, like it, you can literally burn through either of those really quickly. It doesn't really matter what the number is.
0: I mean, I, I think it's different with the 100 and 1,000. I think that pe- the bidding is slightly lower on the 100 because you have less to work with. You know, it, it, There's not a much of a difference if I bid 34 or 35. The one extra dollar difference in a 1,000 league is just for me to re- basically to randomize my bidding so nobody knows what I'm doing. Or if I think that some guy is bidding on the 4s, I'll bid on the 5. can't do that with a 100. You have to bid the appropriate amount every single time. Uh, the 0 versus 1, um, hundred percent. And when you have just a dollar, and you, ha- especially if you if you're in a league that has a a uh, hundred budget and a dollar minimum, those those bids are precious. You can only make a hundred pickups in the league at the very most. Um, so it's going to be tamer, and you have to be a lot more wiser. Uh, when you have the the minimum bid, I think. Um, Ruvane, how about you? I, I know that uh, a lot of your leagues are home leagues that are zero minimum and hundred dollar budget.
1: Yeah, I- you have to base it on a percent. If you're gonna let's say bid in a thousand dollar budget league, let's say you want you're gonna bid uh let's say a hundred dollars because you wanna get us you wanna get a closer or something like that, then in a hundred hundred dollar league you should bid ten dollars. It, it it should be so basically be the same percentage because you know what you want to spend, you want to allocate the same amount of budget for each thing that you do so what, just like Vlad said if you mirror the thousand to one hundred if you do the correct percentage that's what you get and when it comes to the zero minimum I'm in some leagues that have zero minimum and and they're great you know why because you can get anyone for free and you can be as as aggressive as you want early because people will run out of money and people will be putting zero dollar bids later on and you may not get the hammer later on but you'll still have the ability to pick up inj- pick up for injured players later on, if and when you wouldn't have it, if it was a one dollar minimum bid.
0: Yeah. Uh, just as an aside, uh, to just to go back and to just popped into my head about uh, two star pitchers. If you're playing in a head to head league, especially a a, a point league, um, you want to do two star pitchers day one. That's something that's that's really important, just the inning. So, uh, yeah, that, that would be big. All right, anyways, uh, back to the fab. Uh, let's just talk about – we talked about what to pick up, who to pick up, and who to drop. But I know a lot of the ingenuity is deciding on what to bid, the actual dollar amount. And uh, it's not just willy-nilly, hey, should I just – should I bid a lot? Should I bid – you need to have a plan. Uh, you need to come into the year – I think to have a plan. How are you budgeting week to week? How are you going to bid on prospects? How are you going to bid on hot players? How are you going to bid on closers? Right, you're better off coming in planned. Right, don't don't just. I don't know. What do you think's going to go? Um, so let's try to do a little bit of that today, and and talk about what what you should be bidding in your leagues. You know, whether to to win a player, to bid so that you keep players honest, and so on and so forth. Do you have a general approach to budgeting, Vlad? Like, do you come into a season and say, I'm going to put, you know, X dollars a week for weekly um, injury needs that I have to swap out players, X dollars for, um, I'm going to, if I really need to splurge, I'm going to have a budget for that. I need to save 200 for the last uh, month. Do you have a budget plan coming in?
2: It's loose. Um, I think it's it, it's really difficult to do because I feel like each season is its own sort of unique animal, and uh, you, you know, your teams may have different needs. Uh, one thing that I make sure that I do is I try to go into a season with what I feel are enough closers, and uh, you know this this season is is you know. I, ever more so is that true because uh, you know just right off the bat uh had a team where I thought I drafted four closers in a, in a 30 round league NFBC and two of them lost their jobs already Raphael Montero and uh and Anthony Bass and you know the, the all of a sudden because I never want to be in the position where I'm I'm battling and having to fight people for closers that just just came on the market and be spending 250 $300 you know I've I, I've been through that. I've been, been burned before. I remember uh, uh, Jacob Barnes from 2018 came up and you know got a job. Was expensive. Everyone paid for him, and then one save, and that's it. Uh, people spent on Jose Alvarado that year, and he basically got one save, and you know not another one that, that another year. So I want to set myself up previous uh, before the season, so I'm not getting into those bidding wars. From a week to week standpoint, I, I really have to play it by ear. I, I never go in saying rigidly I'm gonna. You know i can only spend x amount or y amount but i try to keep my 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 ear to or my, my pulse on things and what somebody is worth to me what someone is worth to pay but for me the most important part is setting is, is what i think a lot of people may not do is is figuring out the exact priority of my conditional bids if i don't get my first guy where most likely a lot of people are going to be in competition for him what is my contingency plan who are these guys behind them that i'm bidding who do I want to set myself up to get in what order and what are those guys worth? And a lot of times, I'll, I'll, it, it's a good sanity check also because it sometimes makes you realize that these two, $300 bids on, you know, somebody coming off a hot week, you know, is this guy necessarily worth it when you can get maybe somebody similar for, for $20 or $30? So it kind of really puts things in perspective. So the one thing I do make sure to do is I do like to save money down the stretch. I like to be able to have that hammer. Uh, and I would like to be able to you know stream two starters if I need to for you know for wins and, and strikeouts, be able to attack steals or whatever else I need. So I'd like to maybe say for the last six weeks after uh, roster expansion, um, five weeks of the season, I'd like to at least have a hundred bucks left.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about the, that conditional bid stuff that you're talking about. Um, you know, I always consider when bidding, uh it, it's you have to consider A the market, what you think a player is gonna go for, but also what kind of return on investment you're gonna get from your dollars. I mean you, you have a limited number of Fab dollars, so ideally you wanna use them wisely that you get the best bang for your buck. If you notice that there's five similar players out there, maybe not the best one, the best ones going in the market you think for eighty, but there's some similar ones going for twenty certainly you might have a better return on investment if you bid on the 20. So what would you do in that case? Would you bid maybe 50 for the top guy just to say, hey, keep everyone honest, and I'll I'll take a 50 instead of an 80 for the market uh, to get that top guy, and you know what, I'll put a couple of 15s the rest of the way so that whatever it is, if I don't get that top one, I'll just get a good return on investment for the rest of, of my guys. Is that something that you're doing?
2: Uh, It is and I I feel like I'm I'm doing that a lot actually. I'm noticing that a lot of times I have some sort of Instinctual bias against whoever the top guy is, you know, whoever I feel like to maybe, you know It's not always justified doesn't always work out But like two weeks ago when Julian Merriweather man, he's looking hot man He's the closer and this and that I just wasn't in on it for whatever reason or at least I wasn't in at that price so I would put in keep him on his bids Knowing that he probably is the top guy and I wasn't going to get him, I would put something in there, but I would send my conditionals up. I'm like, okay, so maybe I won't get these potential saves here, but let me see who I can can line up. You know, what other shaky closers are there? Who are the guys behind them? And who can I throw in in my my backup bid and hopefully to get lucky? And of course, if that happens for many weeks and you just, you know, there's that balance. Like you you have to be aggressive but not too aggressive but you know things do fall in your lap a lot of times when you play it that way when you do the keep them honest but then you really prioritize your conditionals
0: i really can't remember a closer situation on one team that so much draft capital draft and fab capital was spent on before week two like think about it yates then romano then merriweather and people who also bid on Dolas. like how how much FAB and and draft investments are just on the Toronto closer situation? And by the way, we still don't even know what it is after week oh, two. Oh, well,
2: Romano just hit the the I.L. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, yeah. yeah.
2: So now this week it's going to be the lease bids. Unless I guess. somebody else steps in and grabs a save and then, hey, <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. We need, you know, you especially in NFC overall competitions, you need to get those saves. But you know what? Through, through years of experience and us playing, like we kind of realize that they always kind of pop up in the market at some point. Like, you know, people slow down and you know, you don't have to be 90th percentile in saves. You, you know, if you've got a couple other guys, you know, I've got a team with a slow start in saves with like Will Smith and Ryan Presley. I'm not that worried. I, I feel like the, the team will be okay. I lose one of the those guys. Yeah, sure. But I don't want that to affect my bidding. Like just because I lost... Rafael Montero doesn't mean I'm going to go, you know, like, I don't even know, you know, is it going to be Graveman? Is it going to be Middleton? They split their saves on Thursday. Either guy could be it. Like, a lot of times these managers don't even know yet what their situation is. That's why a lot of times they're playing it by committee.
0: Yeah, and I think it also depends on on you know the desperation of your team. I, we Reuben and I have a team where we're down to like one closer, um, so uh, you know we put in some bids for uh, Jake Deekman. Um, and I usually don't spend a lot on players early, but I I put the bid in 140 or whatever it is to win it. Um, Reuben, what what is your general or, or do you have a general budgeting a fab for the season approach or what what, what do you do?
1: Basically, for the first couple of weeks of the season, I try not to do that much high bidding because I want to see what the league's going to do. You can learn a lot for the course of the entire season how the first couple of weeks of the fab goes. You'll see who's aggressive. You'll see how much money is being spent for a closer. You see how much money is being spent for the top guy. And I think you can learn so much from that that if you just wait for three, four weeks when all these guys have spent all their money and you can see the trend in the league, then you can jump on the guys. Then you know how much to bid. You'll, you can see maybe some some trends of some teams, some players in the league, how they're bidding, whether they're only bidding on the ones, whether they're only bidding on the twos or something like that so that you can try to outsmart them during the course of the season. So the devil's
0: advocate on saying you shouldn't bid that much early on. the the bigger the biggest counterpoint is, well, if you pick a guy in the first week of the season, you have him for twenty six weeks. If you spend your money in the middle of the year, you only have him for thirteen weeks. And if you hold your money till the end, you may not even use it at all. Does that, Vlad? How do you counter that? Is is that a thought where you say, well, you know, you really should be spending money early, um, you know in the first half a year you're not spending fifty percent of your budget I'm gathering you're spending more for the, for that very reason right
2: uh it's you know it, it's there there's a lot of times there's a, a replacement value for for someone right if if somebody's performing well for you in your outfield four spot and uh you pick someone up midway through the year and they take over when that guy is injured you're still sort of getting the the, the full market value for that slot. Uh, and then other times, it really depends on feel. When you've played for, for many years, you just kind of know, you sort of get a feeling on something, especially if it's a big prospect that it's previously struggled. I think like Lucas Gelito 2019 was the perfect example where uh, he wasn't drafted in 12-teamers and uh, people, there were just some people that just kind of felt it early on. They're like, okay, there's something different about him this year and they got him on the cheap. I remember getting him myself for like $36 in that league, that 12-teamer. And, you know, he helped carry me for the rest of the year. So sometimes you just, you know, you, you lock onto those those right players or sometimes you just luck into them. Sometimes, you know, it just, it just works. But again, going back to those guys, like the Radones, Shoemakers, Matzes, they're these guys that like, you're just always hoping that maybe this is the year that they'll stay healthy. They're great waiver wire pickups that can help you for the whole season. But, uh, so I don't know if that answers your question exactly, but it's, uh, you know, it, it's just really detailed nuisance.
0: Yeah. So in terms of, like the exact number of what to 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 pick, and again in the, between thirty six and thirty seven dollars it doesn't matter you know that that's just one dollar difference in a thousand dollar league. But do you have a general rule or well, maybe take me through your thought process, so you know Kendall Graverman just served, saved two games um looks like he might be Seattle closer if you have one closer in a fifteen team league, maybe you need a closer or maybe you have two closers, and you could use a third one. Why not like what goes into your mind in terms of? How much to bid on him? Are you bidding 4% of your budget? Are you bidding... 10% Ten percent of your budget, very roughly. What goes through your mind for that? And then, you know, we'll talk. Let's talk about uh, um, not just closers. How about an injury replacement? What if you you have a severe injury on your team uh, um, that's you know guys out for a month? What would you bid on that? What would you bid on a hot player, the hottest player? Oh my god, yeah, um, uh, Mercedes comes up. My god, I, uh, he looks fantastic. Are you bidding ten percent? Are you bidding five percent? Like. What's your general guidelines for for people who are listening to the show in terms of how to know what to actually bid?
2: Ah, oh, man, it's you know it's a be, lot there. It, it, yeah, it's because it's you know it's more it's it's a lot more art than science. It part of it is is understanding your league, the format that you're in. Are you in a, a, a home league and, uh, with, with a bunch of Mets fans that you know, like for example, someone just messaged me saying they're in their 12 team or somebody dropped Michael Conforto, and the first thing I asked was, you know, it's a hundred dollar budget. He, he's got 80 left. And he, the and first thing I asked him, do you have any Mets fans in your league? Because that's important because you know that people with their fandom, they will over uh, estimate for, you know, for their league. So once you can get that out of the equation, then you can kind of figure out what the right bid is or what the solution is. Um, in the engravement example, again, it's it, it's context. If you really spend the time, you dig into your your own team, you see, okay. I need a closer okay that that part is 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 clarified secondly what is his staying power for the rest of the season oh he's throwing 99 he's looking good he's, he's revamped he there's there are not a lot of other really good relievers on that team he I feel like he has a stranglehold or be able to hold that job all year okay he's he's valuable to me he's gonna be on the high end I also know I'm thinking to myself I really kind of only have one shot to go for it. So then I have to decide: is it going to be for Graveman this week? Is it going to be for someone else that's most likely to become available in the next couple of weeks? You also have to sort of figure out when to shoot your shot. And then the the last part of it is is figuring out your league mates. You're looking in. Okay, there's probably always somebody that's going to bid, uh, you know, for a closer. Then I can dig into these teams. All right, who's most likely to bid on 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 him? Uh, how much money do they have left? Who are their current closers? What are their bidding tendencies in, in the past? Um, you know, what have they been spending spending on this in the past? So all those sort of things, all that science, I guess, turns into art and then you have to sort of formulate it into a bid. And so I know that doesn't necessarily help people to like to figure out like an exact number. It's just something that you have to kind of practice with experience, knowing your league mates and knowing what somebody's worth to you, I guess.
0: Yeah, no, but that that really is helpful, uh, and certainly it might be easier at the end of the year because, like you said, you can look at who needs what. If you know who needs a closer at the end, you know if if the people have closers already and they're not chasing closers, you might be able to get away with a smaller bid, and you know, so on and so forth. Um, Ruben, R- R- what about you? What 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 would you say is is the right decision process on uh, the different types of players you could pick up?
1: There is no right or wrong process. Sometimes you have to go just by your gut. I know you hate it when I say that, but sometimes they go by your gut. Like you're talking about Kendall Griffin being a possible closer for the Mariners. Someone else got a save for the Mariners today, and that was Kenan Middleton. And he's been a closer in the past. He closed for the Angels a couple of years ago. So while you may want to go after one closer, I may want to go after another one. And you know what? Maybe everyone's going to be bidding for for Graverman and I'm going to be lucky and I'm going to end up with the correct closer. So sometimes a lot of it is just luck. Sometimes it's taking your gut and just going and getting lucky with it. Other times you have to understand your situation. Let's say you have a a league and you have Alberto Mondesi like we have. We have Alberto Mondesi in one of our leagues and I knew he's going to be out for at least a month, a minimum of a month. So what do you do? You have to get a replacement. You have to spend some money on the waiver guard to get a replacement. So you have to try to budge and try to figure out if you first have to find the right person, who's going to have the correct playing time, and then you can say, you know what, he's going to be in my lineup every day for the next month. So he is worth more to me than to other people, so I'll be willing to spend more money on him now just for that reason alone.
2: Can we go back to one thing? Did did, uh, Reuven, did you say uh, that Ariel hates it when you say you, you go with your gut? Yes, I'm surprised I, you had he, me on the does, show. He's 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 more
1: <laughs> he he's more of a numbers person. Sometimes yeah. I do go by my gut more than he does, and it's, it's it's like you said, it's it's not a science; it's an art. So sometimes you have to go by the numbers, but sometimes you have to go by your gut also.
2: You, I mean, that makes you guys probably a pretty strong uh, uh, force to be reckoned with—the the gut numbers duo.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, you know, uh, I, not that I hate going by gut. But, uh, you know, you, you need to. I think you need to have plans. And, uh, of course, you can have a gut reaction and, say, go off of, of your plan number and it needs to be higher by your gut. But I think you should have a base uh, for everything. Um, you know, just, just to add to the conversation here, um, the one thing to think about um, is that if you've got $1,000 and there's about 26 weeks, call it 25 to make the math, it's an average of 4% a week. Right, Whether you're, if it's, it's $4 in a 100 league, it's $40 in a 1,000 league. So that number is important because if you spent that number every week, that would exactly exhaust your fab. If you're going to go hot over the, 40, the 4% in one week, you want to be a little bit lighter the following week. If you don't really see a need to pick up now, save it and only go 1% this week because next week you should be feel free to go 7%. To make it eight for the two weeks, so I I you should have that number in mind because I I like to budget something for every week. I think that there should be maybe a three percent budget every week that you know you you're gonna have matchups plays you're gonna have pitchers to stream three percent each week three percent each week. On top of that, I like to save something for the end of the year just to have the hammer. And on top of that, you need to have a a, a joy fund a splurge fund. Hey. I it's I, I really need to get this one guy. I'm gonna do it. Have $150 set for, hey, you know, I I need that closer. It's time to throw $75 of my budget right on that guy. Or this is a can't-miss prospect coming up. All right, I'll take the splurge. I would never do a $300 bid. I mean, I think that's a terrible waste of money. But, you know, in some cases, use your bank of free money. You know, your your, your mother gives you money and you go spend it at the store. Well, you know, you have that for the whole year and take 15% of your whole bank for the fab you know, use most of it wisely and take the 15% and splurge uh, at a certain point. Um, So I look at that and and I, and um, you know, I make sure that I'm not going way, way over on a two, three week basis. Uh, Keep yourself in check with that.
2: Yeah. And the other thing to add to that, I'm I'm sorry, is also, I mean, if you just, if you do math it up, it's, it literally comes down to a thousand dollar budget. It's $20 uh, per pick uh, per, per two picks a week basically so you, you know forty dollars per week uh two twenty dollar pickups a week and there's also a little bit of a sliding scale because in that second half of the season uh, usually for the most part everyone's low there's always somebody in your league who's just like not active or not bidding they've got 800 bucks or something and they can drop the hammer on you but for the most part most competitive uh people at that point are like at 250 or under so that scale of like what an average bid is for for somebody good is now kind of dropped down
0: Yeah, the other thing I want to say is is just that, and I say this in the auction, like should you nominate players you you really want? Should you buy a lot of players early? The answer is that money-wise, it's best to be in the average of the pack the whole way through because then everything seems the same economically to you. Nobody seems too expensive or too cheap because you're in the pack. You do want to be cognizant of that. You should be somewhat in the pack, maybe have a little bit more money. I would always want a little bit more money, but you shouldn't be way, way above. If if everyone in your league has spent 400 the first two weeks, um it's okay to now spend to spend more, right? You it's okay because y- you just want to be economically as close as you can to the middle. Um don't be afraid to spend that extra the next time or if you're if you're if your whole league is doing that and you know about it Feel free to spend more earlier because you'll know you'll still have more money than them later on. So be where wary of where you are in relation to everybody else as you go forth. So again, it's looking at the budget per week, but also looking at where everyone does. Um, you know, I'll spend more in the first half than in the second half, but I won't go crazy. Um, you know you, that argument earlier about uh, hey the, the, a player is used for the whole year if you buy him early um, that 's true, so you do want to spend a little bit more than, than you have um, and also to touch on uh, in terms of replacements uh, if there's if there 's a couple of similar players so if there 's only one closer available on on the waiver wire, you will have to spend more if there are three closers that may be, you can actually spend less because There's just more of a supply, right? It's straight economics, supply and demand. If there's more of a supply in the room, the money goes down. So be aware of that. In terms of what you have to bid, It. The quantity of what's available on your waiver wire makes it very important. Um, and the last thing I say is injuries. Look at what teams need. If you see teams that are decimated with injuries, you're probably not going to win some bids on some of those guys. Don't bother. Uh, focus on a different area to to bulk on. Uh, so you know, do look at what your opponents need. That does play into things. Anything else you guys want to chime in on?
2: Well, no, that's. Uh, I think you kind of wrapped it up pretty well there.
1: Well, there's there's one there's one other thing I would mention is that when when you have a league where it's a two catcher league and you have a budget of let's say a thousand dollars and you're streaming catchers like I know me and you are we do that there's no reason to spend more than a dollar if you're streaming catchers if you're spending ten dollars or or fifteen dollars or twenty dollars on your second catcher on your for your team every other week that's not money well spent you should really keep the bids as low as possible in that type of situation.
0: Yeah, if there's a roster spot that you intend to churn 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 with just some kind of uh, replacement every week, you obviously have to be mindful of that and not spend as much on that roster spot because you're going to have to do it repeatedly.
2: The one thing I'll say on the on the catchers is I I usually do go the extra buck or two. So I'll go two or three because I always feel like if I'm and usually it's a good thing if if, if you're if how it works with waiver priority is if you, are you know, you tied on a bid, uh it, it goes to the person lower in the standings and usually you know if other people are lower in the standings you Hopefully don't get that's that not player. You. Yeah. It, that's why. That's why I usually <laughs> go 2 or 3 because I'm usually looking down. Yeah. Again, <laughs> it's not
0: not much of a difference between 1 and 2, but uh you know don't spend 10 on the catcher is the point. All right. Time to do waiver wire. That's where we talk about a couple of potential players that hey, we might be picking up and spending on on the waiver wire this week. Vlad, let's start with you. Who's somebody that you might be looking at?
2: I think the the just already it's so much changes over the course of the weekend and and by the even from the time I publish article on Saturday on Sunday usually have to do an update because a lot of times it's you know who got the most recent save who wasn't being considered all of a sudden becomes the hot new pickup those things change really quickly looking at it early in the week I mean it really looks to me like. Uh, I mean, in shallower leagues, um, I think Jimmy uh, Garcia is probably already gone. But if he's not, I think he's somebody who needs to be scooped up. Um, looks like the closer, especially after Dylan Flora blew, blew it. Uh, but I think most people are going to be looking at Kendall Graveman or Middleton and uh, Deleese on Toronto. People, uh, those are the people that, uh, the catchers that I think people are going to go after. Um, and then just looking ahead at the uh, 15-teamer uh, players that have potential staying power for your team. Um, that are have two start weeks this week. Uh, Joe Ross for the Nationals, healthy, and uh, looking pretty good in his first couple starts. A uh, couple of, you know, could be tough matchups, St. Louis and uh, your Mets um, in New York. So there's that. And then Josh Fleming, if he can stick in the rotation in Tampa, uh, I think he's, you know, maybe not the, the biggest strikeout upside, but I think he can help with ratios. He gets at Kansas City and then uh, home against Toronto. And obviously Toronto is one of those offenses we typically want to stay away from.
0: All right, before we go to Ruvain, let's do the Injury Gurus trivia of the week.
1: Well, this week my trivia is going to be based around my waiver wire guy, and I'm going to list, I'm going to list the player stats for over the past 3 years and let's see if you guys can name this player. Over the past 3 years this player has averaged a, t- a 264 average, 8 homers and 33 RBIs including one season which he hit two sixty seven with twenty three homers and ninety nine RBIs. Can you name that player?
2: Yeah, I'm not good at that I'm will give a hint. I will give it. Will give, it Jed give Lowry?
1: Yeah, yeah, you got it. It was Jed Lowry. You uh, <laughs> guys talked Lowry. before this. I'm kidding. No, we didn't. No, no, did no, no, I'm no, kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, I'm kidding. but I already picked him up in another league and I even played him this past week because I had my I had a like I said a gut feeling on him and you know what? He actually hit. He's hitting 333 for the season already. Two homers, eleven RBIs, he's batting third in the lineup. He's healthy. The crazy thing about it is that a report came out that he requested to have surgery on his knee from the Mets. The Mets said no. He left the Mets. He had surgery in October and he's fully healthy. He's only 30%, 37% owned in CBS. He's a guy you can grab because you know what? He is a starter. He's batting third in the lineup and he's getting consistent playing time. I'm gonna list also another former Met. That's Philip Evans. He's on the Pirates. He's only 34% owned in CBS leagues. He's off to a hot start. You want to get that hot player. He's batting 342 with three homers, five RBIs. He's batting third also. So those are two. For, quote-unquote former Mets who are out there. They're doing well on, on other teams and they're getting the playing time and they're healthy.
0: I mentioned a couple guys. Wilson Ramos, if you're in a two-catcher league, you're probably uh, he's probably already taken. But if you're in a one-catcher league, the guy has six homers so far. He's he's been an offensive bat for the last couple of years. Um, I would take a gamble on and stream him. If you're you're streaming catchers, take a gamble on Ramos. Uh, I mentioned Dane Dunning last week. He's still only 50% owned, and he threw a nice game. He's still widely available. Take a chance on Dane Dunning. How about Travis Shaw? 25% owned. Qualifies at first and third. This is a comeback guy. Between 27 and 2018, he hit 63 homers. He's only 30 years old. That's worth a dart, I think. We mentioned Kendall Graverman. Uh, Middleton also got a save, so pick your poison there. And Dolice, we all know about that. How about Adam Duval? He has four homers and nine RBI so far. That is better than his 2020 pace, which was really brilliant. Picking up where he left off last year, Adam Duval, Go for it, guys. Uh, and how about Renato Nunez, another old favorite Ooh, yeah. of our show here. Um, I don't love the ballpark, but he's playing now while Miguel Cabrera is out. He's already hit two homers. Uh, I once wrote an article calling him the next Chris Davis, and it's because he has a high hard hit rate, high homer to fly ball rate, uh, and he's doing just that to start the season. He's not going to hit you over 230, but he's going to hit you 30, 35 homers. Um, I Take a free guy, he's, he's, he's not even owned in deep leagues. Take a stab at him, Renato Nunez.
2: I was going to throw in, by the way, uh, I was going to point out that Detroit actually has a pretty nice schedule coming up. And just next week, they get the, uh, the, the Pirates and the Royals. And Nunez, uh, Jonathan Scope's been ice cold. I think he's going to heat up a little bit, too. Probably a lot of teams are dropping him. Uh, Robbie Grossman, I mean, that team, I think, for the, they're, they're kind of a sneaky team uh, offensively. Um, I really like Nunez there, and I think I just like Detroit in general for the next couple weeks.
0: Let's do our pitcher preview. That's where we pick up the some pitchers that might be good one-start or good two-star pitchers. Let's start with you, Ruvain, first. Let's see who the pirates are playing this week.
1: That's very funny you should say that. Because <laughs> just like Vlad just said, Michael Fulmer of the of the of the Tigers is playing the Pirates this week. He's only 13% owned in CBS, so he's a possible two-start. Versus Pittsburgh and Kansas City, both at home. So he pitched pretty well his first time out. He has an actual a track record when he's healthy to pitch pretty well. So he's only thirteen percent owned. He can be he can be picked up in most leagues and some leagues he may actually even be reliever eligible because he did relieve a couple times last year. Another guy I'm going to mention, Vlad. You mentioned him. You beat me to it. Is Josh Fleming? His first start, uh, first start of the week is versus Kansas City. He's possible to start his first start. He went five innings with two strikeouts. And last year, he went 32 innings with 25 strikeouts, 278 ERA, 1.0 whip, with a 63% ground ball rate. And he plays for the Rays. He's only 20% owned in CBS, and he has a chance for you to get some wins, which is very valuable, especially from starters now, which don't go usually more than five innings.
0: I was going to say Joe Ross uh, uh, as well. Um, I mean, I think St. Louis, Mets, I think it's still a decent start at that city field. Uh, but he's a guy that, you know, you pick up for this week, but he's a guy that actually could give you some stuff all season long. I'll also mention David Peterson, who's 40% owned, pitched amazing the other night. Six innings, 10 strikeouts. He plays at Chicago Cubs. The Cubs are one of the lowest Scoring teams in major leagues this season. Uh, I think that's a good outing. He looks hot. By the way, does anybody know who has the lowest number of runs scored for the year?
1: Does anybody know? It's probably the Mets because they didn't play that many games.
0: Yeah, it's the Mets. 29 runs. They only played eight games, yeah.
2: Well, they're going to (laughs) Coors, thankfully.
0: Uh, uh, In the the snow. In the snow. uh, They may Uh. not play uh, on Friday. It's snowing. Oh, no. Uh, Mets can't catch a break. Uh, Any other pitchers to add, Vlad?
2: Yeah, well, first I want to say you guys remember Ferris Bueller's Off? Was that the, the principal? Peterson, right? <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, <laughs> um, it, well, I kind of, you know... It, Mr. Rooney!
1: It, Mr. Rooney! It, oh, Mr., uh, Mr. Rooney, yeah. P- Mr. Peterson Rooney. was
2: someone else in the show. <laughs> Anyways, in the movie. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, along the same lines as you guys, and and I think I threw out some pictures earlier, but you, we were probably talking about hitters, so I apologize for not hearing about that. But, uh, um, yeah, Fleming and Ross we mentioned. um 12 teamers Anthony Disclefani is in the mix uh, somebody that I, I actually was a target of mine I drafted in, a, in 12 teamers towards the back end and it's looked good so far and obviously that's a good uh, home park for him and um, this next week he's gonna get at Philly which he could potentially bench for that start um, Harper and those guys could be trouble but the following week if everything lines up without any rain delays or, or issues uh, missed games He'll get the Rockies at home and then uh, San Diego on the road, which isn't as tempting, but still a possible two-step there. And then going a little deeper, um, Austin Gomber, up until this three-run homer he just served up to Justin Turner, um, he's somebody that is streamable on the road. Obviously, you never play him at Coors, uh, but he would line up for two uh, road starts against the Giants and the Diamondbacks, which I think is uh, potentially usable, but only in deep leagues. Let's
0: do a couple of uh, mailbag questions. Mac Trott says... What to do with Ian Happ? Should I take Hanager for him? I think that's a slam dunk pickup. Happ is a 63 WRC+, plus, um, which means he's 37% worse than our average. Uh, he has walked. He's walked seven walks so far, but uh, he, he's pretty bad, and uh, he's on a crappy offensive team. Mitch Hanager, four home runs already. He's batting well over 100. He had two today. Ten RBIs, ten runs. He's got the 161 WRC+, plus, and he also leads off. Um, Hanager is more upside I think it's a slam dunk to drop Hap for Haniger. Anybody disagree?
2: I don't disagree. Um, Hap is going to have some nice stretches you know, in the nice sure. warm sure. summer in, in Wrigley. He'll hit some bombs. He can hit 25 bombs, I'm sure, but he's going to be a detriment to the batting average. Hanegar is a much more well-balanced player, and uh, a healthy Haniger, I think, is a, is a much better fantasy option.
1: You agree, Ruben? that's I- I 100% agree. If that's a trade, you make the trade, you keep Hanniger, and you'll be able to pick up Happ later in the season because Happ will be dropped also. <laughs>
0: there you go. That's the way to play it. Uh, Aaron Evanhouse says, Should I hold on to Krohn and Jock Peterson? Should I add Alex Cobb? And what's the magic bi- <laughs> fab bid for that, Vlad? So let's let's go to Vlad first on this.
2: Uh, so, Crone, you, you you hold on to. He's, he's off to a slow start. He's not getting cut. I mean, famous last words, maybe maybe he does, but um, they're going to need that bat in the lineup even though he's struggling. He keeps hitting in the middle of the lineup. Uh, he's going to warm up. He was mashing bombs in, in spring training for a reason because that's what he does. He hits bombs and there will be a time in Coors Field where you'll be very happy that you did not drop him. Uh, Jock Peterson's a little different because he literally cannot hit lefties. And there will come a time when the Cubs will have to sit him against lefties, and uh, um, you know that's just what's what's going to have to happen uh, because he is a, he's a real detriment to batting average. He's got massive power again, like Hap. He'll there'll be times when you, you'll love to have him on your team, but over the long run, like a 220, 240 average is is, is really painful. Uh, Alex Cobb, great ad. He he looks good, in um, in that home park in in LA in Anaheim, uh, I think he's a solid ad um magic fab bid i always need more context i cannot just give you a number you got to tell me you know show me your roster I'll, I'll take the time and do it but you know show me your roster uh show me how much money you have left and then i'll be able to give you a good number
0: well Ruben, you're a big jock peterson fan so uh, are we holding him
1: yeah, hundred percent. You're holding him. Um, he's a guy who, as soon as the wind starts blowing out during the summer, he's a guy. Even if he doesn't hit lefties, he'll still play because the Cubs have nobody behind them and they need some offense. They're gonna play him. They got him to play him. He's gonna play. So I'm not concerned about that. CJ Crone. Again, you saying just like Vlad. I'm. I'm. I'm just mirroring what he just said. You you can't I wouldn't drop a power hitting first baseman in Colorado. You can just you just can't do that. As for Alex Cobb, I'm not as high on him. I'm a little nervous. He has do has he does have an injury history where he's going on the I. L at least once or twice a year. So I'm a little bit nervous about that type of thing also.
0: I'm I'm probably dropping Peterson in a twelve team league, but holding him in a fifteen team league context is pretty important. Uh Peterson won thirty six so far. Uh, nine percent homer fly ball rate. I mean, his career averages are more than double each of those. So yeah, just just wait a little. Give it a little bit time. If, if you really, if he's a big part of your lineup, there's no reason to shell out right now. Um, let's do one more question. Uh, it's a thought question from Josh. He says, "How do you avoid making early season mistakes due to slow starts, bad luck?" I've got the all-ice team of Ozuna, Rizzo, Springer, Story, Teoscar, Altuve, Suarez, and I'm getting more frustrated by the day. So I think Josh needs a little pep talk on uh, relaxing and uh, just going with the punches. Uh, uh, Vlad, do you have anything to uh, calm Josh down?
2: Uh, I, I would look at the quality of those names that you just, uh, just rang off. Um, I'm really not worried about any of those guys as long as Springer comes back and he's healthy. He's going to mash. Um, you know, are we were really worried about Trevor Story or, or Marcelo Zuna. Yeah, Marcelo Zuna scuffled a little bit. Altuve as long as he's healthy. Suarez, double eligibility now. I mean this is a monster group, and there will be a time where you'll be really happy you have those guys. Again, we're only seven percent into the season, long way to go, and I would not worry about this group at all.
0: The only thing I'd say about Ozuna is that he's last year he was the DH pretty much. This year with the no DH, he's playing the outfield. So could be a little bit of the rust of playing the outfield early in the season. I think he'll warm up, be patient. But uh, I think we expected some of this to happen, Um, you know. And if you can definitely trade for a like quantity, I might do that with Ozuna uh, if you can. Uh, But, yeah, everybody else, just got to be patient. I mean, um, unless you see somebody, and all the names you mentioned are high up guys, um, they're getting playing time. They're batting in the heart of the batting lineup. You're not gonna throw away your preseason projections after two weeks of other bad luck or rust. Um, just, just calm down. You know, uh, uh, you can be in last place and w- right now and win your league. It's, it's everything is just changes by the hour. You have a good hour and you, you're up four points and you're up four spots in the standings. Uh, don't, don't worry, Ruvane. Do you want to add, add anything to calm down, Josh?
1: Yeah, I'm gonna add something else. Me and you, we have, a, we happen to have a lot of Mets on our team, fortunately or unfortunately this year it's the same situation. They're not playing any games, so we're falling behind. It's, it's like they're ice cold because we're not getting any of the stats out of them. But people like Edwin Diaz, people like Pete Alonso, you're talking about Jeff McNeil, Mike, even Michael Conforto, they haven't had a stretch of five or seven straight games. There's no rhythm. Baseball players are creatures of habit. Once they get into a rhythm, once they get out of the cold weather, also that may play into it also. And once they get rid of this whole COVID, getting a lot of them are on the COVID list because they got the vaccine, so now they're not playing. So you just have to be patient with these guys. Yogi Berra used to say, "It's getting early, very late." I mean, getting late, very early. So you have to have some patience because it's a Yogiism for a reason. It's because you know what that can happen and you can lose your patience, but. You just can't do that. It's a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint like last year. If this was last year, I wouldn't say drop them, but you may want to consider benching some of those guys just to get some active people who are actually hitting into the lineup.
0: Yeah, that's true. You can always bench a guy for a short period of time if you're really nervous. Definitely don't cut a guy. Remember, regression is a two-way street. If somebody uh, overperforms, it's probably going to underperform a little bit afterwards. somebody is underperforming, it's probably going to go and overperform later. And you certainly don't want to miss... When, you know, you take all the bad and you miss all the good, you certainly don't want that. And, you know, projections are seasonal projections. They're not, they're not uh, one- or two-week projections. So just, you know, hang, hang in there, Josh. Um, we give fantasy advice and we give life advice here on this show, apparently. Uh, Ruven, uh injury update. I know we've got so many injuries, or should we call this the Toronto Blue Jay update here?
1: Yes, we will call the Toronto Blue Jays when we, when we update when we get to it. But first, I'm going to start with a couple of positive things. First of all, the Nelson LeMet, he was scheduled to throw a 70 pitch sim game today. Hopefully, if it went well, it's possible he can be activated within the next week or two. i am I'm guessing closer to two weeks. Carlos Carrasco, as mentioned earlier today, he's dealing with a hamstring injury. He threw four innings and 65 pitches the other day. According to Luis Rojas, the manager, he said he looked good. He did his ups and downs. He's building up correctly. He's going to pitch another five innings in a couple of days, and and then he should be ready to go. He may be ready by the end of April as well. Cabrian Hayes, he's had a wrist injury. He has resumed swinging, but he's not faced live pitching yet, so he's a little bit away. Nate Pearson, he's throwing. He's throwing at 100% intensity and feels, quote, absolutely pain-free. So that's a very good sign. You may see him also in the next week or two. George Springer, keep him on your bench because he did not travel with the Blue Jays on their current road trip, so he will not be activated at least until April 25th, so just keep that in mind. Continuing with the Blue Jays, Julian Merriweather. We mentioned him already on the injury list with an oblique issue. You don't know how long that's going to be. That can be a couple of weeks. It could be a month. It could be longer than that. And then his replacement for, uh, I guess, half a day was Jordan Romano. He went on the IL with right ulnar neuritis. This is the same or similar type of injury that... Um, Steven uh, Strasburg had and he ended up needing surgery for it. So he may be out for a bit of time as well. So you can pick up Rafael Dolles, He can close. Also, the, another guy who's on that team who may close, who has the stuff to close, is David Phelps. You haven't heard about him in a while, but he's an option as well. Continuing with the Blue Jays, Ross Stripling, he was supposed to start today, Today today's Thursday, he was supposed to start, but he wasn't able to get his elbow loose, and they put him on the IL with a mild flexor strain. Anthony Kaye took his spot today, he may take that spot going forward. Lorenzo Cain, quad issue, he was put on the IL with a left quad issue, he was dealing with that issue during the spring training as well. We don't know how bad it is yet, but Jackie Bradley, Billy McKinley will see an uptick in playing time during his absence. Max Freed, he was placed on the IL with a right hamstring strain, which he injured while running the bases. I think we need a DH. We don't know how bad the severity is yet. Tucker Davidson was called up, but Bryce Wilson may be the guy to fill in there. Christian Posh, another brave, placed on the IL with a left groin tightness. He is eligible to return on April 24th, but Ender and Sayarte will see an uptick in playing time and he's a stolen base threat. So if you want a guy for steals, that's a perfect guy. Continuing, Archie Bradley, he's on the I.L. with an oblique injury. They already said he's going to miss at least three to four weeks, which means that Hector Neris is probably going to be the closer for a while. Kwang Young-Kim, the pitcher for the Cardinals, threw an 86-pitch sim game. On Sunday, this past week, he will return probably within the next week. So he's a guy you want to activate, he's a guy to go for. Christian Walker also placed on the aisle with a right oblique strain. Andrew Young was called up, but as Dribble Cabrera and Paven Smith will actually see more time in his absence. Anthony Rendon on the aisle with a groin strain also. At first, it was considered quote-unquote minor, but now he's on the aisle. So we'll see how long that lasts. Dexter Fowler. Torn ACL, done for the year. Nomar Rosara, abdominal strain. Left abdominal strain, he got while swinging. Victor Reyes, Jacoby Jones could fill in for them. Joe Jimenez was called up, which is interesting because he could close. That's a guy to watch for. Johnny Cueto, we mentioned him earlier in the show also. He's on the IL with a grade one lat strain. It's considered a quote-unquote low-level strain. Logan Webb may fill in. And last but certainly not least, Fernando Tatis Jr., all reports are pointing that he's going to be activated for this weekend series after subluxating his shoulder just less than, like, less than two weeks ago. I happen to think that is one of the craziest things. I spoke to another orthopedist in where I work, and I just said this is a 25-year-old who has this issue and everything like that. They said that the person should have surgery, no question. Then I said it's a baseball player. Then she said, oh, well, you know what? There's probably some other thinking going into it rather than just the medical aspect. So I'll just leave it at that.
0: So last week Rovain you, you know we were thinking that he's going to be out for a while or if he does come back the the uh chance of reaggravating it is sky high. Is that your feeling
1: yes. still? 100%. It happened 3 times over the course of 3 weeks. They're trying now he's trying to swing the bat with two hands. Keeping both hands throughout the entire swing. Is that going to affect the way he hits? Probably so going to affect his gonna production. He's going to change his swing. Yes. He's just going to change tra- his swing willy nilly? They're Yes, there are videos already on Twitter, you can see them, of him swinging two-handed, keeping the hand on on the bat, both hands on the bat throughout the entire swing to protect his shoulder. Now, do you want a 70% Tatis in your lineup who may not be producing the way you want, or do you want a fully healthy one? I, you know, it's it's... Damn if you do, damn if you don't. You can are you going to play him? How can you sit? How can you sit for Fernando Tatis if he's in? If he's active, it's just so hard not to sit him. But you're not going to get the same quality, I don't think, based on what's going on.
0: Vlad, are you selling Fernando Tatis for like seventy cents in the dollar right now? Uh,
2: it's really tough to imagine that everything's just going to magically be okay with him for the entire season. Uh, so I think I might be.
0: Yeah, I, I. I... I I agree. I, I wrote an article last last week, basically saying, yeah, go for Gleyber Torres or Javier Baez. Like, uh, the, you're, you're you're right with with Tatis. Your team aggregate risk is high because you're expecting a large amount of production from the one person. If you get rid of forty percent of his original stand, remember it's sunk cost. So he's probably not going to be a hundred percent. he will probably be eighty percent at best, seventy percent. Just just get rid of the risk. Get get your seventy cents on the dollar and have a stable player. Just 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 do it. Like what's the, the 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 problem is? I don't think people associate the sunk cost there. Tatis is not the Tatis you drafted at one two or one three. He, he's not. He's he's he would not be drafted as high today. So why would you why would you not trade him for for a, a nice discount?
2: You uh, know? Although I will say I think I might rather have a sixty percent Tatis than a Javi Baez, but that's just me.
0: <laughs> really.
2: I, I don't know, just the uh, the play discipline, and uh, I don't know, just not a, not a bias fan. Is he gonna
1: steal? If is he gonna steal? If if, if if he he can't steal? How how can he steal? Oh, you talking about bias? Bias is gonna steal. But but one of the ways that Tatis got hurt was by sliding. When he dove home in a mm-hmm. spring training game, he sublocated sublocated his shoulder. Now he's changing his swing. his changes in his mechanics. He's opening himself up to a different injury, of an injury not necessarily the shoulder, but of something else, and that's a problem.
0: If I threw away his stolen bases, he you would never draft him in the first round. Like if he said before the season, "Hello everybody, we're not going to steal this year." You wouldn't draft him in the, anywhere near the first round, right? He would be like Nolan Arenado.
1: Yeah, you you would there's there's no way because his val, a lot of his value was in his stolen bases.
2: Yeah. I I think I like your the, I like your Tatis uh, uh accent there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: I try my best to do a little bit of uh, accents and impressions on this show here, um, but anyways, uh, that comes to the end of our show. Vlad, this was a super duper episode. I think that people listening can take another listen and listen, listen twice because there is so much, so much knowledge and thinking through what 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 to do, when to do it, how much, and uh, uh, I think we got a nice flavor of of what uh, Vlad Sedler does on a regular weekly basis. And uh, thanks for coming to the show. And maybe you can tell everybody where they can read your work and uh, hear more about uh, what you do.
2: Sure. It's uh, on Twitter. If you don't follow me, it's at RotoGut and uh, fantasyguru.com slash MLB. It's where all my work is uh, over the course of the season. Do a weekly fab uh, article, a very – usually a pretty robust deep breakdown. Uh, Spend a good day on it usually between Friday and Saturday. Uh, and then some other columns during the, the course of the season, and uh, that's it. And I, I really appreciate you guys having me on. I've got a, a, a lot of respect for, for for both you guys, and I uh, consider you guys chart players and great analysts, and uh, thank you for having me on your show.
0: Thank you very much, Vlad. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, Ruven, why don't you just tell everybody uh, about you?
1: You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out daily updates on injured, injured players, next guy up, how long the players are going to be out. And I also have a weekly article in Roto, on Rotoballer for these injuries, just like I mentioned uh, at the end of this uh, podcast. And I also, this week, uh, there's a special edition to this to this article that I'm actually listing how long each player was out in 2019 based on injury type. So if a player was hurt with an oblique injury, there after 35 days and so on and so forth. So take a look at that, and that should give you a good basis as to know how long players are going to be out for injury all
0: right and i'm ariel cohen you can follow me on twitter at atcny read my stuff over at fangraphs at cbs sportsline and roto bowler and of course you can listen to us right here on the beat the shift podcast of course without question vlad we respect uh your work uh, one of the best in the business uh, one of the best nfbc high money players there is uh h- how many main events have, have you won the division titles
2: uh, it, it's been hotter the last few years. I've, I've, uh, basically placed, uh, f- uh, first or second in five of six in the last three years. So, uh, two, two championships. So trying to take down an overall this year, hopefully.
0: Incredible. Well, good luck in that pursuit and definitely somebody who knows what what they're doing here. All right. That's it for us for a Beat the Shift podcast. Uh, We'll be off next week, but we'll be back with uh, Ian Khan in two weeks to talk about some hot and cold players and uh, to catch up. All right, guys. See you next time on Beat the Shift podcast.
1: Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.